This episode of the PC Perspective Podcast is brought to you by Zumper, the quick and easy way to find your next apartment or home rental. With one million apartments and real-time updates, you'll be the first to know when a new apartment hits the rental market. And with their one-click Experian-powered application feature, you can lock down your new home right now from your phone before it's gone. To try Zumper today, go to zumper.com slash PCP. Hey everybody, welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is episode 368. It's being recorded on September 23rd, 2015. I'm Ryan Shrout. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom. I'm Josh Walrath. And I'm Mario Tidelman. I definitely almost said 328th episode. For some reason, I, I had the 8 at the You're end. About 40 behind. Pretty much exactly 40 behind. Uh, welcome to the show, everybody. Um... Alan's not here. I've got all this extra space. Look at all this room for activities. Room to breathe? That I have here. Oh, man. Oh, yeah, this is good. You can really stretch out and, uh, you know, put your uh, put your drink. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. I could just do like Anywhere. this. I could just put it right there, and it won't even matter. It doesn't even matter. I even put right. his chair away. Just moved it out. He's practically not even part of our right. life anymore. Why don't you get cardboard, Ryan, to... Uh Help you host a show. <laughs> he's he's he he's he uh, is too tall and he doesn't have a good uh, like he doesn't bend at the knees to like sit down correctly. Uh, <clears throat> if he does bend at the knees, he won't unbend at the knees, which could be a problem as well. So anyway, let's get into the show. Uh, this is the first time you've joined us. Welcome. PC Perspective is the name of our website where we post reviews of computer stuff it's at pcper.com we do record this podcast live on wednesday nights at 10 p.m eastern 7 p.m pacific at pcper.com slash live and if you uh, want to partake in that maybe you need a little gentle reminder you can go to pcper.com slash subscribe and if you sign up for that uh, you'll be on a little mailing list that we send out notifications usually an hour to two hours before uh, the podcast begins tell you hey this is what we're going to talk about today uh, and any other live events that we uh, may host in the not too distant future as well. So, uh, pcpro.com slash subscribe for that. But in any event, let's get into the content for this week. We do have Maury with us who's filling in for uh, Alan. And I thought it was timely. He did post a review this week of uh, kind of a comparison or roundup of CPU water blocks, which is interesting. It's a topic that's not often covered either here or really anywhere uh, in, in most kind of uh, major mainstream online publications. So I thought it was an interesting thing to look at. Maury, it looks like you've got five different models here. I'm not going to ask you to kind of just remember all of them, but I am curious what are all of the water blocks? Okay, um, so basically what, what I did is I had a bunch of water blocks sitting around that I wasn't using. Well, some of them I wasn't using, some of them I do use. Um, and I just thought it, you know, some readers had said this in previous water cooling reviews and um, all-in-one cool reviews. And it was also an idea I was kicking around that, you know, well, how do, how do different water blocks from different series perform? under the same load because usually when we do our reviews we use review units we don't necessarily use you know other things um so 
the, the five water blocks that were tested were uh, two coolants, the CPU 360, which is uh, discontinued right now, and the CPU 380i, the SwiftTech Apogee HD and the Apogee XL, and the XSPC Raystorm. Those are basically the water blocks I either had here that I bought myself or that, I've, uh, that I received as review samples from uh, manufacturers. Which is why, you know, several people ask us about the EK, you know, that's why we don't have the EK or the bits power or any of the other blocks. So, um, the interesting thing with, and the, well, let me, before I get into that, um, as far as the blocks go, they, there's two different ways that uh, manufacturers build blocks, right? They build them with microchannels or they build them with pins. Okay, the microchannels means that the water is injected over microchannels channels and basically squirts out through those microchannels and it goes out of the block. Where the pins, it's basically a straight pass-through, and the pins are like a forest, a copper forest, so to say. Hmm. And the pins just go right through the forest and out the block. Um, <clears throat> and you can see, you can see the designs right here. You know, the uh, the two Swift Tech, uh, the two that use the pins, the uh, Race Storm, and the two Coolants use microchannel. Okay. Gotcha. And yeah, you can kind of see it there in that picture. That's a microchannel. That's a race storm right there, the XSPC. Right. And basically, the, the water shoots uh, horizontally over the microchannels and then goes uh, top to bottom. And gotcha. then uh, then it's collected in the outlet. So okay, okay. Um, you know, we tested this. I tested this against an X99 board uh, using our standard speeds, uh, stock and overclocked. Um, Mainly because the X99 is, is a really good platform to test with. It is a bigger core, so the heat gets spread out, and we get we on our review sample on the review, uh, review chip we use we get uh, really good speeds on. I think it's somewhere between 4.5 and 4.7 is what we get, so it generates a, a quite a bit of heat. Um, so it's it's a, it, it does it is a real nice platform to test with, and and just because we tested on the X99 with the Haswell E doesn't mean that these results are not applicable to your Haswell or to your Skylake. Skylake is going to run a little cooler, Haswell, uh, which is the X90, or sorry, Z97 will probably mm-hmm. run maybe a little hotter, but maybe on par. Because um, you got to remember with the Skylake and the Haswell, they are smaller dies than the, and a smaller heat uh, heat spreader than the Haswell E. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, as far as the results go, it was very interesting what we saw. It wasn't outside expectations once I kind of thought about it and actually got with Alan on it as well. Um, that the the uh, blocks, the best performing blocks were the ones with the micro channels. The ones with the micro pins did not perform as well. Um, hmm. You'd think that the micro pins may perform better because the 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 micro pins actually have more surface area than the micro channels. Right. Um, but. The way that the blocks are constructed, it the, the water just isn't. It's um, the flow is basically encouraged to go through the center of the block, whereas with the microchannels, it's actually squeezed through the microchannels to the outside of the block, so you actually get better coverage overall over the heat spreader and over the dye. Okay, so the micro the, uh, the micro pins actually could lead to hot spots on the uh, heat spreader and on the dye, as opposed to the microchannel, which you know you're not going to get those hot spots as much. Well, it's also um, kind of turbulence versus laminar flow. When you have all the pins and the water's going through there and it's creating turbulence, you probably actually get small vacuum pockets uh, behind the pins against you know the uh, on the far side of the water flow. So you yeah. know you've got the water flowing this way and it hits a pin, it swirls 
around and creates turbulence, and you probably got that vacuum. No, there's no heat transfer. But with uh, with the, the the just the veins, you you probably have a more laminar flow, fewer bubble formation and, and vacuum and stuff like that. That that is true, and that's that's something that Alan had brought up also. Um, I mean, I had kind of alluded to that as well, um, but kind of Alan put the science behind it. Um, the turbulence thing, though, uh, with water coolers and air coolers, there is some, you know, kind of uh, back and forth discussion on that on some of the, you know, some of the hardcore enthusiast forums that you, know, you want turbulence, but you don't want so much turbulence because turbulence will bring up the water, uh, the, the, the surface of the water, if, if the water stays as a unit, because water in a liquid form, even though in ice form, you know, it's solid, liquid form is not solid, well, of course it's liquid, but it tends to have surface cohesion. You want some, some amount of turbulence because it does break up the surface cohesion, and breaking up the surface cohesion of the water actually aids in heat transfer. But as Josh was saying, if you get too much turbulence, it starts working the other way, where you know you get the laminar flow and the uh, vacuum uh, vacuum spots and the heat spots. Um, the now the interesting thing with the microchannel designs is that the oldest block that I tested performed the best. The CPU 360 coolant block was actually the best performer by two to three C, if not more than that. Hmm. Um, and it's it's just it, I, I believe that is it's the way that the block was constructed because the way that the uh, 360 is constructed, the water is encouraged to go out both sides and then it joins up uh, with the inlet that's actually in the middle of the die. So you know so kind of so the water kind of you know shoots in, squirts out, and then kind of comes back like that and comes back out. Okay, on the 380 instead the actual outlet is actually in line with one of the ends of the um, of the microchannel, uh, so that you know mo- uh, the 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 other side of the microchannel, the flow actually has to go faster to catch up with the um, the flow going out right out to the outlet. So the performance, of course, suffers because of that. Um, the uh, the ros- or sorry the ros- the <laughs> the ray storm the XSPC performed it didn't perform as good as either coolants but it performed significantly better than either of the uh, than either of the swift tech blocks actually its performance kind of fell in between the swift tech and uh, the coolants blocks so um, you know I had, uh, a couple comments it said something about the price of the blocks these blocks are expensive they are not you know these are not in any way entry level uh, water cooling devices. These are meant for water cooling enthusiasts who, you know, I mean, like me, you know, I, I do water cooling not just, you know, because of the temperatures, but, well, sort of because of temperatures, but, you know, it's something I enjoy doing. You sure. know, um, it's, it's not, yes, you could get, um, you could get on par temps with a better all in one cooler, such as the, um, the Corsair H100, the, the H100i, or, you know, the newer uh, HX or HG series, I forget what they are. Or some others, but you know it's it's it is a, it is a hobbyist thing. So yeah, you know. I think that's fair. It, it's disappointing that the best performer is not for sale anymore. But I guess I know it's yeah, it's it's, uh, it's surprising that Coolance changed up the design of it. Now, one thing that someone did mention is that with the Coolance 380i. There is some, uh, again, another site did testing where they actually rotated the block 
uh, 90 degrees and actually got better performance, like by one, huh. uh, you know, a couple degrees. Um, so I did not try that. The, the way that I had the blocks oriented was that the microchannels were uh, they were parallel to the uh, die. So, right. or no, wait, no, wait, no. Or were they parallel? To the, parallel? No, wait. Uh, I think I'm sorry. I think that they actually I weren't. I oriented them so they were perpendicular to the line, not parallel. Sorry, I'm trying mm-hmm. to think back. Um, but because that would give the, the best coverage. So. Uh, you still believe that water cooling like this is something that you have to want to do. I think all of us would agree. Even Alan would agree if he were here. This is something you have to want to do. There's not like a deep technical need to do it anymore, especially if you consider, like you were talking about, the self-contained water coolers that are out there that are high, higher performance than we had expected. Uh, and also just some of the limited headroom that you get on uh, modern graphics cards and processors in terms of overclocking. Like you can really get most of the headroom out of them with, with high quality air coolers. You agree? I will give you a qualified yes on that. Uh, the qualification comes in that with video cards, especially they get really hot. And I, I mean, I've run both air cool video cards and water cool video cards Air, the modern air coolers, no matter what is ACX two O or whatever other the manufacturers are, they they will get loud if the video card if you're running a video card full bore, you're going to overclock the video card. Mm-hmm. That fan will get loud over time. It may get loud and then and then uh, stop being loud, you know, after you finish playing or whatever. But it will get loud. Right. Um, so what water cooling buys you in that? And and this is also um, kind of outside the all in one, you know. You know, if you're going to do a water cooling loop where you have uh, where you're cooling your CPU and video cards, water cooling will actually reduce your C, uh, GPU temps down to a manageable 50C under load, even overclocked, because the um, the die size of the GPU is much bigger than that of a CPU, so you get much more cooling area and much more optimized cooling out of that. So it's able to cool it a lot more efficiently, even in line with an overclocked, very hot CPU core that GPU will not go very hot gotcha. compared to what it goes under. So that's the only caveat. Interesting stuff. Uh, check out Maury's article on PCPro.com if you want a little bit more detail. Lots of good photos of uh, those different water blocks and the configuration. Let's move on to another story that went up this week. Ken posted. What? Who? Never Who, heard of the guy. Who's Ken? I'd nev- I've never met the guy before. It's not a pseudonym. It is. Uh, I write under. I ghost write under the name Ken Addison. Well, he's got to get into CS somehow, right? Right, right. Well, he's got to have name on articles <laughs> at some point. Byline. Right? Uh, so this is choosing a ThinkPad, uh, something for everyone, and this is basically a result of us having an office full of ThinkPad laptops. Uh, that Lenovo sends us all the time. They 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 usually send us most of their lineup each year, and we were kind of we had all these Broadwell machines that we hadn't done reviews of yet. We're like, okay, look, get, it's getting too late to do a full review. Skylake's going to be here in the not too distant future. What can we do to kind of demonstrate the capabilities of these machines um, without overly focusing on uh, the componentry inside because it is going to change in the next handful of months? So we came up with this idea to just kind of like demonstrate. Uh, the different Lenovo's we had here, like form factor, uh, size, battery size, cost, and, and kind of differentiate that way. The interesting thing is, so we had uh, the T450S, which is a 14-inch Ultrabook. I guess still technically an Ultrabook, right, Ken? 
uh, 14-inch machine. This is the largest machine we had. Uh, and then we had the X250, which looks identical to that, except it's a little bit smaller. you got a 95% keyboard. It's a 12-inch screen instead of a 14-inch screen. Uh, then we had the X1 Carbon. That's a 13. That's a 14-inch as well, Ken, or is that a 13? The X1 is 14. X1 is 14 yeah. as well, 14-inch screen. Uh, but it's a much thinner, sleeker design. And then we had the ThinkPad Helix, which is a 2-in-1. It's a tablet uh, with a kind of a dock. And it's uh, using the Core M processor, whereas the other ones were using Core i5. 5, 5300U, uh, all you know, basically the same uh, Broadwell-based part. What's interesting is all four of these laptops had the same price pretty much, right? Like if I just said $1,250, you were probably within 50 bucks of any of those at that configuration that we had, um, which tells you that, okay, pricing is not really the determining factor here. What is? And it's really form factor and battery life. Those are really the differences you get. When you get to the Helix, you talk a little bit about performance, obviously. Um, they all have good keyboards. They all have good trackpads. They all have touchscreens. They all have um, uh, what's the the nub in the middle? Track point. Track point. Um, you know they all have decent amount of connectivity, but obviously it goes down the thinner you have the machine. I think the T450 has, uh, or the X250 has one less USB 3.0 port than the T450s. Um, T450s has this great capability of having a 95 watt hour combined battery. Right, so you can see here in this picture, you've got this little thing, this kind of wart coming out the bottom here, um, this little growth, if you will. That is the large six-cell, seventy-two watt-hour battery that gets added to the internal non-removable twenty-three watt-hour battery for a total of ninety-five. That's obviously uh, that's obviously an option. Although I think one of the machines we were looking at at the time, it was like a five-dollar special to just add that battery to it, but. Uh, 95 watt hours of battery life is going to get you all day battery life, probably beyond that, even with pretty normal usage. Uh, the X250, the 12 inch, offered the same battery configuration as well. So you could get the same 95 watt configuration, just a little bit smaller form factor. You can see here the comparison in terms of footprint. Uh, I would say thickness wise, they're about the same though, weren't they, Ken? Maybe yeah. pretty close. Mm-hmm. T450S might have been tiny, tiny bit uh, different there. Uh, but still, you know, the huge battery life is the advantage there. And that's really why I used uh, the X200 series forever. 200, 201, um, 230. I use those as my everyday machines and travel machines for, for, for many, many years. Uh, the X1 Carbon is was kind of – it was it was launched a few years ago. This is Lenovo's, hey, we're going to make a sexy Ultrabook, uh, but still have the capabilities of a ThinkPad. So we got the good keyboard and trackpad and all that. Um, and you do get a thinner design. It has less connectivity, you know, fewer USB ports, that type of stuff. Uh, but you also lose, I think the most important thing for me at least, is that you lose a lot of battery life, right? There's no expandable battery. It's a 50-watt-hour battery in there. Um, so still pretty good uh, compared to a lot of machines. I think the XPS 13 has a 53-watt-hour battery, something like yeah, that. It's, it's, so it's very close. Um, but... You know, compared to the T450 or the X250, like you, you can see why it's it's a drop, right? If you're used to something with a 90 watt hour battery, dropping to 50 is going to be a pretty noticeable difference. Um, but it is a nice looking, feeling, lighter, sexier design if that's what you are looking for. Uh, and then finally, we have the Helix, which is a two in one. It's a tablet. It comes with a um, well. 
There's a couple of different docks. The one that we have here is the most expensive dock. I think they call that the Pro. Ultrabook Pro. Ultrabook Pro dock. Uh, it has a battery in it, so you have a battery internal on the tablet and you have a battery on the dock. The dock comes with an active stylus. Um, it's a, it, to me, a little bit of a surprise. This is actually apparently a very, very popular model in the business enterprise market, right? They want the idea of a tablet and the Ultrabook and the, and the pen, uh, the stylus, and they can get all the kind of V-Pro and other stuff that people apparently want in, uh, in business and enterprise series laptops uh, if they go with the ThinkPad line. Now, obviously, you sacrifice some performance there. It is Core N rather than Core i5. Uh, this model has 4 gigs of memory instead of the other ones had 8. Um, but it does have a combined 70-watt-hour battery. So you should get pretty competitive battery life with even the bigger T450 and X250 because of the lower end, lower performance, lower power consumption uh, hardware inside that machine so there's i mean there's other thinkpads out there what did we miss can we missed the yoga, yoga. the thinkpad yoga yeah the w series which the, the w series which is more end. workstation yeah. class um uh as well but uh, you know i the what i would kind of we wanted to take away here is that even though this is broadwell and i and i would probably encourage people to wait for skylake before buying a laptop if they're looking for something new um Form factors and design decisions aren't going to change unless something dramatic and amazing happens. These are, they're still going to offer all of these machines with Skylake, right? So uh, going in, knowing what the form factor differences are, what the capability differences are, will help you make a more informed decision. So that's, that's something cool. It's a cool story we can only do when we have kind of everything all in front of us at one time. We have a lot of experience with Lenovo laptops. They're very um, out, up, up front with like, here, go try this one, try this one, try this one, try this one, because they're they know we can make a, a better decision that way too. Any so thoughts, Ken? Everyone should send us every laptop they make. <laughs> every company should send us every laptop. Otherwise, we can't make a, a completely informed decision. Yeah. I agree. Um, like we get the Lenovo ThinkPads, we get the Idea Pads a lot. We turn down a lot of that type of stuff though, because a lot of them are so similar. The the Y series, the gaming notebooks, all that type of stuff. So, hey Ryan, yeah. Oh, did I, did any of them have USB three point one ports on Gen two? USB 3.1 on them? No, no. I mean, no. These are all Broadwell machines. They're all a little bit older, so they don't have that yet. Um, we may see some of that in Skylake. Honestly, don't know. You will see some of that in Skylake. We will see wink, some of that in Skylake. Wink. Yeah, Ken. Remember, Ken went to China to visit Lenovo. Yes. That guy. It, I, I still don't know who he is, but he went to China. He came back. He told me there were going to be laptops. I don't know. Uh, let's talk about other notebook stuff here. This one slightly different in scale. Slightly different in audience. This is um, the ultimate kind of gaming notebook stuff, right? So NVIDIA invited us up to New York City. They said, we want to show you some mobile stuff. And I was like, oh, Jesus. Oh, man, really? This stuff again? It's like, no, no, trust me. It's going to be really cool. Uh, I was like, what? I mean, GTX 980M and SLI. Like, what are you going to show me? Uh, so we went up there, and they actually have gaming notebooks that will be shipping uh, next month. That include a full GTX 980 platform, graphics card, GPU, whatever you want to call it, in a mobile machine. This is not a cut-down GPU. It's still 2048 CUDA cores. Let me bring up the specs here. Uh, here they are. Still 2048 CUDA cores. Has the same rated base clock of 11, 11, uh, 1126. 1126 megahertz. 128 texture units. 64 ROP units. 4 gigs of memory. 7 gigahertz. 
uh, memory clock, 256-bit memory bus, 224 gigabytes per second of memory bandwidth, uh, and a 4.61 teraflop peak compute rating. Right. If you compare those two columns on the left, the GPU, GTX 980 mobile, GTX 980 desktop, they're identical. If you look at the GTX 980M, which was the previous highest end part, it was a Maxwell-based part, um, it was, but only had 1,536 CUDA cores, uh, about 100 megahertz lower clock speed, you know, fewer texture units, uh, and I, just as importantly, if not more, is the data rate on the memory was only 5 gigahertz instead of 7 gigahertz. So you have a pretty big difference there. Um, the TDP of the GTX 980M was 100 watts, and they didn't give us a specific on the new version. It's not a new version, but like – so basically what they did was they took a GTX 980 and they bend them for those that can run at lower voltages effectively and reliably and stable. And then they improved kind of the componentry. They're using four and eight phase uh, designs on uh, the GPU for power delivery. And they're basically able to, I think, bring that TDP down to about 150 watts because the desktop reference card is 165 watts. Maybe able to get 15 watts less out of it uh, to get to 150 watts, which is also the rated maximum of the MXM module uh, specification. So... That kind of that kind of all makes sense. The end result, though, is a mobile gaming platform that really has no sacrifices. Right, the the model that we got to play around with some of our demos on had a desktop Core i7 6700K processor in it, a desktop Skylake 6700K, and now a desktop GTX 980 GPU. Um. I don't know what else you can ask for, really, in a mobile machine. Uh, it wasn't thin. It wasn't light. Lift. It wasn't quiet. Yeah. I mean, they're big, heavy machines, but it's not like they weigh 30 pounds or something like that. Um, they're going to weigh 10 pounds, probably, right? So uh, I, I don't think you're going to see a huge amount of – a huge difference in kind of what the builds are for the 980M that you'll have for this 980 uh, even though you have 50 more 50 watts additional power to kind of kind of have to deal with uh, in, in that regard, we saw like the MSI GT72, which right. looked like the same chassis. Yeah, the MSI GT72, which is a machine we've seen here several times, kind of as they move from Haswell to Broadwell to uh, you know other, they'll have a Skylake version as well. Um, that one we saw last, I think we had it with a 970M in it, and they offered it with a 980M, and now they're going to offer that same design with a, with a GTX 980 full in it, which, by the way, just to say, is a dumb naming scheme, just calling it a GTX 980 when there already existed a GTX 980M. It's just kind of confusing for people. Um, they're going to allow overclocking on this. They're going to unlock um, uh, GPU offset and memory offset. You will not be able to do memory. Uh, you're not be able to do voltage adjustments, and you can't do power target adjustments. That's kind of because they um, are, are being a little bit more particular because each OEM's cooling design is going to be a little bit different for the GPU. But there are, you know, they have rated minimums. They have to meet that base clock at least to be sold as a GTX 980. But from what we were told by Nvidia, a lot of vendors are going to sell above that. Uh, so you know. Take a laptop like the GT80 from MSI that has a mechanical keyboard in it and an 18-inch screen. Uh, it'll have two. You know, two GTX 980s inside that chassis. And I, the power brick has got to be enormous on that. <laughs> you just get an ATX power supply. It's just an you ATX just power supply. You just it around. Just put that in there. I'm okay with that. So, I mean, it, 
other than just kind of improving your frame rates and, and doing interesting things, right? Like if you're limited to a 1080p screen, which a lot of them are, not all of them. Some of them are 4K, some of them are 25 by 14. Uh, but 1080p screen is kind of like, well, do you really need a GTX 980 to push 1080p if that's what you're going to do? 75 hertz. 75 hertz. Mm-hmm. You know, like the G-Sync screens. Um, yep. So you're kind of pegging that stuff out. Um, and I would say... But you'll have HDMI or 4K out on HDMI. You will. So yep. at least then you'll be using it. And you can stop bitching about the battery because I, I doubt you're dragging that 4K monitor around with you too. No, no, you're definitely not. Um, you can do. Uh, we saw we got to play Grand Theft Auto Five in surround. Three 1080p monitors all hooked up to the same laptop. Two through DisplayPort, one through HDMI, and it ran great. It wasn't maxed out quality settings because you couldn't do that on the desktop part either or desktop system, um, but it was pretty damn good and, and very smooth and, 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 and great frame rates and then we also, you know, we didn't see the demo of it, they didn't have them in New York but the um, uh, this is also the first mobile GPU the first mobile gaming systems that beat the requirements for the Oculus Rift virtual uh, reality systems, right they claim that you need a GTX 970 or higher in order to meet you know, the 90 frames per second uh, at that resolution, what is it I forget what it is now, but whatever resolution the Oculus runs at, right? They want you to get 90 FPS. GTX 970 is recommended for it. This is the first uh, mobile system with the GTX 980 that will be able to to meet and beat that. So now you'll be able to, you know, take that on the go. Developers will love it. Uh, you know, people who work shows will love it. But if you just want to, if you want to do virtual reality gaming, you want to do VR stuff, and you, but you're a, you like the convenience of having a portable. I don't want to say mobile, but a portable gaming platform in a notebook form factor. Uh, you'll be able to do that now. So, I, I, any, any thoughts on this? Like, I, I just thought it was it was incredibly interesting how they did it. You know, just kind of tweaking performance and power consumption a little bit. Sounds um, pretty familiar, huh? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I did ask them when they were going to put that on a on a small form factor PCB and call it what it be like Titan Nano or GTX 980 Nano or 980 Mini or something like that, and they kind of poo pooed the idea and said, "Oh, nobody wants that form factor." Blah blah blah, which is a pretty stupid comment just across the board. Since you have partners that make cards in that form factor, they just have to use a GTX 970 instead. <laughs> um, uh, but you've, you'll have options from Clevo. MSI, Asus, and Aorus. How do we say that? Aorus? I think that's right. Aorus? No, there's no I in it. It's A-O-R-U-S, Aorus, which is a Gigabyte brand. Um, they had like the thinnest version of it uh, uh, using the GTX 980. It's also like an 18-inch laptop, so it can be pretty It's thin. big, yeah. And then the Clevos, even if you don't know who Clevo is, you don't buy a Clevo laptop, know that they sell to and build for you know all the OD, all the other guys that sell machines like... Who am I thinking of? Like Main Gear or Alienware or those guys that are not I guess Alienware. not Alienware anymore, but uh, Origin, Origin, and those guys that sell machines. Those are those are the ones you're going to get there. And and they, it, it looked pretty cool, guys. Like not not literally cool, but it looked pretty pretty awesome. Uh, there's going to be fan noise to consider. There's going to be heat issues. Skin temperatures are good, maybe a concern. Don't put this on your legs. Uh, for an extended gaming period, you know, put it on a desk like it's supposed to be. Use a big laptop cooler that props it up, and you know all that stuff, and has a big fan on it that, that keeps things running. Um, and I think it'll be awesome. Pricing, um, actually, I got this email just here, and actually, if we switch to this, we'll sh- I'll just show you. This is the MSI 
uh, GT72 looks very familiar uh, announcing it with the GTX 980. It will be $500 more. That's a lot of money. Than the version with the GTX 980M. Yep. That's a lot of money. More. That's a lot of more monies. It's a lot, it is a lot of more monies. Hey, Ryan. Yes, sir. That Asus, uh, the Asus laptop with that weird water cooling bump thing on it, was that one of the GTX 990? It will be, yes. It will be, yeah. Which obviously, it makes sense, right? When they announced that, they said an un- unannounced GeForce GTX GPU. And I was like, mm, okay. I, did, I actually, I really had no idea what it was going to be. Um, but $500 is a lot to upsell you to a GTX 980. You're getting about 30% 30 to 40% more performance, I'm guessing, uh, just looking at specifications and stuff. Um, so you have to be a guy that just wants the best thing. Similar to a 980 Ti or a Titan X or something like that, you just have to be able to. You have to want to pay. You have to be able to pay, but you also have to want to pay more to just have the best stuff. Because um, that's that is it. Considering you can buy a GTX 980 desktop card for four hundred ninety nine dollars today, it's a it's a lot to ask above a 980M, right? Knowing that a 980M probably cost. Two or three hundred dollars to the OEM, and then you're adding five hundred dollars onto that. It's it's going to be pretty steep. Any other thoughts, Josh? You want one? Um, let me change my skin color first. That's much better. Uh, People who don't watch the video hear, version, uh, are really if, if they tell us any more about the uh, binning uh, process and why these are a little bit more efficient. Um, I mean, do they really need to sell anything else? It's like, well, we just pick the ones that can run at lower voltages at the right clock speeds, and we just put those off to the side. Yeah. Right? I mean, who knows how long they've been doing that. Maybe they've been tweaking the process and the manufacturing as they go when they said, hey, look, we can actually get 10, 15 watts less consumption out of these now. Now we can put them into a mobile form factor. Let's go ahead and do that. I don't know. It's They're all the chips from the middle of the wafer. <laughs> right. But the photoresist works much better than in the edges. All right. Yeah. No, I, I, I think it's probably just that simple. Um, so we're, we should have a, uh, one of these GT72s with that GPU in it uh, the very beginning of October. So we'll, we'll mess around with that there and, uh, and, and see how that goes. And see if maybe I just don't send it back. Hope they're not listening. We'll see. All right. Let's talk with Josh about thrusting, thrust masters. Because I am the Thrust Master. You are the Thrust Master TX F458 Ferrari Italia Edition, stepping up the wheel game. It is stepping up the wheel game. Uh, you know, in, in the article, I went through kind of my driving game experience. My very, very, very first one actually involved a wheel. It was it was Night Driver from from Atari. It was just the the twin. Uh, lights like they're off a reflector and you drive and you got four shifters and you only have an accelerator you don't have a brake we all know how safe that is right. but yeah I, I i remember that as a kid and, and i went through all the different uh you know stages of, of racing and some years back i i got the thrustmaster ferrari f430 wheel which was the first force feedback wheel that i actually had now it only had uh, 270 degrees of rotation <clears throat> in some of the higher-end racing games. That was just not enough. You didn't have enough kind of turn to, to hit some uh, hairpins as, as well as, as you were hoping. And it just 
kind of felt unnatural as compared to actually going out and driving a car. And so I thought, you know, I I want to see what the next level is. So I went ahead and bought this uh, this this F four fifty eight Italian. It's based on the TX um, wheelbase, which is that big thing behind. It is an industrial class brushless motor and pulley system. So it's got two belts and two pulleys in there to do this, you know, this 3000 RPM motor that can be then translated into a usable force feedback steering experience instead of just a mortar motor running and your hands getting jerked and all kinds of terrible, terrible things happening. Um, I chose this one because it was 290 bucks and I, I don't feel like spending a whole lot more. But it had a very interesting set. I mean, uh, if you look at some of the competing uh, Logitech ones, they have helical gears. And we've heard a few things about uh, uh, just the smoothness of the wheel. I mean, having them helical helps with that cog feeling, but you still get some catches. And there's some, some lash. And uh, it, it's it's perhaps not the best way of doing it. I know Logitech would probably... Um, disagree with me yeah. with that, but after having used my F430, which was a geared and pulley kind of dual system, I, I did notice a huge amount of smoothness with this newer model. Now, this has been out a couple of years. It was released around the time the Xbox One was released. Um, it's got 900 degrees of rotation. Again, it's it's dual belt <clears throat> and dual pulley. It's a pretty significantly heavy piece of gear. I mean, it's probably a good 10 to 15 pounds. And uh, one of the real, real strengths of this wheel is that, uh, well, you're familiar with the G29 and the, the, the mounting mechanism. It's the two little kind of hooks in the front that you've got the plastic knobs and you twist until they're tight. Right. Yep. And they're, they work okay, but I mean, if you get really crazy at the wheel, they'll, they'll pop off. Man, you gotta get real crazy. Okay. Well. <laughs> anyway, with you drive master, in a more intense manner than me. It's fine. Well, it's okay. Potentially. Well, you know, I drive to win, Ryan, <laughs> and you just drive to. I drive to screw up everybody else. Pretty much. Yeah. You you go backwards. If on the, the game track. will let me. If it'll let me. Yeah. If it will let you. But anyway, the mounting uh, <laughs> mechanism on this is is pretty beefy. It's a it's a metal screw about that long, and it's it's attached to a a swing arm. And you put that under the table and you screw it up tight and that thing just doesn't move. you got to get really crazy mm. with it to get it to move. Um, the feeling is is really good. And so I'd been using that F430 for a long time, uh, many years since Dirt 2 came out. And it was a good wheel. And it could do some nice things. And it gave you, you know, a better experience because we had some force feedback. But the difference between that and this one is is night and day. Um you can feel a lot more subtle variations of what the force feedback is trying to do. It's not all or nothing, which sometimes the F430 uh, kind of gave you with with the way it was set up. It just was a more natural feeling type experience, and the wheel reacted more like how a real one would do. So if you're power sliding around a corner and you let, let go of the wheel, the wheel will then turn to where the wheel's on the front of the car want to go. Right. And I mean, that's kind of how you recover 
from some of these slides is instead of, you know, keeping the wheel cranked, you get into the slide, you let it go, and the wheels then naturally go to where uh, the way of travel Would is. Would you say and, and the wheels go round and round? Exactly. Round and round? The people on the bus go round and round. <laughs> no, the people on the bus are not supposed to go round the and round. The people on the bus are round they and round. They do when you're driving, right? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. I mean, uh, you're obviously not traveling on the bus that I'm driving. Uh, that, okay, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, fit and finish of this is good and bad. The base itself, it's really solid. It's smooth. It feels great. The wheel that's included with it is a replica of the Ferrari F458 uh, wheel <clears throat> that is included in that car. Mm-hmm. But it's not metal. Doesn't It's not leather-wrapped. It's It's got a rubberized coating. It's really lightweight, which is good for you know getting the, the wheel to spin around uh, with the mechanism. But it doesn't have a whole lot of heft. heft and it doesn't feel the same as, you know, a, a real steering wheel, obviously. <clears throat> and it feels kind of plasticky. Yep. I mean, once you're racing, you don't notice that because you're you're paying more attention to what's going on, you know, with, with the wheel and, and the force feedback. But I think that would be certainly something that would be nicer to have a, a wheel with, like, you know, the G29. Has a leather wrapping and, and probably a little bit more heft and... And, uh, you know, squishy uh, polyethylene or polypropylene kind of cushioning in there. And interestingly enough, Thrustmaster is offering a wheel that that provides those things. But the wheel itself is $175 beyond what you're paying for this. And it's it's an add-in, which kind of leads us to the next point, is the base itself can be upgraded through uh, uh, either plugging in different pedals uh, it comes with a, a two-pedal system out of the box. You can get the slightly upgraded three-pedal or the, the pro version, which you can mount either um, F1 style where the pivot point is below your feet or rally style or, or regular racing or your regular car where the pivot point is above your feet. Um, these all cost money. There's now four <laughs> different wheels that you can apply to this. You know, the, the, the standard kind of rectangular F1 wheel. Uh, you've got more of a, a, a Porsche GT style wheel that can go in there as well as this new uh, 599 X Alcantara edition uh, wheel that, again, is it, it looks fantastic, but it's 179 bucks or so. So if you want to by that, that's up to you because the the system itself offers you the flexibility to do those things. So overall, my impression to this, I mean, software, installation, I mean, the, the installation was very easy, but you need to follow instructions because you usually will have to update the firmware of this wheel. Otherwise, it may not work oh, nearly yeah, Otherwise, well it's a square? You, what's that? Otherwise, it's a square? A firmware? Sure. No. No. That's a good one. Good try, Jeremy. But no, I, I mean, uh, you don't have as many features. Uh, <laughs> force feedback may not be as well, and compatibility would be kind of touch and go without the the firmware update. So uh, it's the first thing you do out of the box. It takes a couple of minutes. You really need to read the instructions and do it correctly. Otherwise, uh, you could be really frustrated for a while. I don't think you're going to break the wheel or overwrite something you don't need to. 
But uh, if you don't do it in the way that they ask, you could get, again, frustrated. Personal experience? No, no. I actually read the instructions. That's good. What? You know, it was was that test in the first, in the fifth grade (laughs) that says... Read, before answering, read all the questions one through sixteen, <laughs> and of course, you know it's like the tear six, the page in half, yeah. you know, poke your tantrum through this, and then number sixteen is like, don't do anything, just go back to one and write your name. Yeah, yes, so those are stupid, classic. Yeah, classic education that actually became ingrained in me. But anyway, uh, for two hundred ninety bucks, it's a pretty good buy. Uh, you can. I think they have the 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 TX150 or the T150. It's a brand new. It's not available yet. It's going to be shipping on the 30th. Um, it's similar construction, but it's not you, – you can't interchange stuff. Uh, the base is a little less beefy than this one, but it does go the full uh, 1080 degrees of rotation. This, again, is only 900 degrees. But overall, it's, it's a big upgrade uh, for me. And if you're going for more racing than you have done before and you're interested in it and you want to do it, it's not a whole lot of money because you'll likely keep this wheel for a long time. The fit and finish, while I wish it was built with different materials, is still very good. Uh, you can swap things out. The, the, the quick swap of the wheel itself is easy to understand and implement. It's not exactly quick. It takes about a minute to actually. But that's not what you uh, said. You just said quick swap. Well, that's what they call it. Don't do it while you're driving. Exactly. That's, you really don't want quick, to do that. It's quick, but not that quick. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. You won't make the corner. But, uh, you know, it's it's a really nice wheel. The software is great. It's got Windows 10 capabilities. goes all the way from XP to 10. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I highly recommend it. If you've got 290 bucks that you want to spend on a racing wheel, this is this is a good one. It's... It gives you most of the performance of the higher-end wheels, uh, like the T500. Uh, it may not, again, have the materials that that one has, but the experience is much the same. Right. So Very cool. You don't want to spend 500 bucks? Well, it's, uh, it's a nice... Uh, I don't know if there are many times go. I want to spend $500, but there are many times I'm willing to spend Shut up and take yeah. my money. Mm. Right. See, I don't really do that very often. Maybe. We'll see. All right. We're going to take a quick break here, guys, and thank today's podcast sponsor. It's new to me. It's new to you. We're talking, of course, about Zumper, Z-U-M-P-E-R. I don't know about you guys, but finding and applying for an apartment rental can be a nightmare. It's been a while since I've done it, but I will say when I was in school, it was indeed a nightmarish type thing. Even if you got a group of people you're trying to find an apartment to rent, it, it honestly, this was... A little bit before the age of like Internet 2.0, right, where we had all these cool things, uh, but not anymore. Zumper is revolutionizing the rental industry by making it easy to find and apply for your next rental home from your iPhone or Android device. Once your custom filters are set up, including uh, the number of bedrooms you want, monthly price, and amenities, you can get real-time updates so you'll be the first to know when a new apartment hits the market. That's actually pretty sweet. Once you find your place, uh, Zumper offers instant rental applications and Experian-powered credit checks, making the process super convenient ensuring that you get the front of the line, get to the front of the line when you apply. Uh, Zumper has over 1 million listings across the U.S., so 
if it's up for rent, it is on Zumper. And uh, Ken and I actually checked this out today. And in your neighborhood, Ken, they had lots of like availability, like, like lots twenty or thirty apartments, more than you would expect yeah. to find. Right? You kind of see this type of thing. You think, oh, this is a San Francisco and a New York City type thing. I put in the Florence, Kentucky zip code, and it had like just as many options. Right? It was kind of surprising. It listed homes for sale, apartments, not homes for sale, homes for rent, apartments for rent, uh, and it seemed to to like have a whole lot of options. I don't want to say all of them, but it had quite a bit uh, there, which which made things really convenient. To get started and to find your new home, go to zumper.com slash PCP. Now, I didn't pick the URL, to be perfectly fair. Uh, Zumper, Z-U-M-P-E-R.com slash PCP. That stands for PC Perspective, not anything else. Josh, that's leave it as it is. Zumper.com slash PCB. And their slogan is Zumper, make your move. It's pretty good, actually. We'd like to thank Zumper for their support of the PC Perspective podcast. So, you know, Josh, if you get kicked out of your house, you need to find an apartment, you can use that. All three of the ones in Wyoming are listed. I think, Josh, you muted yourself. It was pretty funny, though, because we heard Jeremy's voice and Josh saw Josh's mouth move. Yeah. Yeah, not only that, but I changed color again. <gasps> I got to stop browsing and just yeah, wait on the dark orange. What are you browsing? <clears throat> it looks like a lot of flesh tones. He, he's browsing <laughs> your face. He's browsing <laughs> apartments on some place. He's, he's ah, exactly, PCP. because I'm about to be kicked out. Uh, fair enough. All right, let's move on and run through some news items here. Jim Keller leaves AMD again. Josh, how Me? big a deal is this? I don't know, but I'm not worried in the short term. I mean, Jim Keller has a history of moving around. He's a DEC. Uh, DEC got bought up by... Uh, ooh, what are they bought I don't up know. by? I have no idea. And then uh, then they moved on to AMD. And then uh, he left AMD uh, right before X8664 was released. He had helped with some of the K8 stuff, but, uh, you know, kind of K7 was, was he was a major factor in. Uh, went to PA Micro, which was bought by Apple, stayed at Apple for a while, came back to AMD, kind of helped change direction of uh, the compute platform. Uh, mm-hmm. Zen is is certainly his baby. And, uh, you know, about a year before we're expecting to see some early Zen samples, he leaves under... <sighs> Uncertain circumstances. So when you said at the beginning of this uh, segment that you aren't worried in the short term, you mean that in in a way that Zen is done. Like the Zen – The the, design 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 is done. done. If it's good, it's going to be good. If it's bad, it's going to be bad. Nothing will dramatically change the shape of that product, whether or not he's here for the next eight months up to its release or not. Right. Yeah, I mean, they're already working on Zen Plus with design groups. So mm-hmm. within the next three to six years, it's all going to be based on that architecture, and that's going to be fine. I mean, they're just going to iterate off of it. It's so, going to be good. Do, I mean, do you think part of me believes that him leaving is a bad sign for what the resulting architecture and product will be? That if it was something he was super proud of, he would want to be there for its release. He would want to kind of bring that baby out into the world to show it off. And the fact that he's kind of leaving and getting out of the way maybe tells me that it's not the case. Do you think that's 
likely or unlikely? Or you know, it, it, that could be fifty-fifty in there. It could be that he's made a lot of money, he's worked a lot of hours, and given up a lot of his soul to get this product out, and perhaps his work is done, and he's going to go and enjoy. You know, yeah. a couple of years of his life with with what he's made because he's not he's not making peanuts. The executive comp- compensation at AMD is is still really good, and he's made some good money throughout his entire. Career. I don't think that there's a money issue at all, right? Like, I no. think if you wanted to retire and and go off and be a well, crazy person well, somewhere, at, you look could at do a picture that, of him in 2012, and then look at one of the latest pictures of him. Sure, he's doing the robot in that one, but he, he's only got one chin, and he's he's got some good musculature there. And sure, you look sure. at later ones, and you know he's gained a lot of weight. He looks kind of ragged and tired. And I think that he's spent a lot of energy and time and his life trying to get this product out. And maybe after all the design work is done, and now it's just a lot of managerial crap. And, you know, things are in the pipeline. They're just getting the work done and getting the designs and, and, and things are, you know, in a pipeline yeah. uh, for the next couple of years. Maybe just said, you know what? I'm 50-some-odd years old. I've, I've got a lot of money in the bank. Maybe I want to spend some time with my family or kids if you have. Why the hell would you want to do that? If I had the choice? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, so we don't need to dwell on this anymore. Um, we don't, we don't know what it means. It would, all I, all I, all I know for sure that it means is like whatever comes after is already kind of designed and in the bank may not be as good. You say in this article that hey, maybe this is time for somebody else who's really good to step up, and they can they can become the next face of uh, of a terrific architecture and processor design, and maybe that'll happen. Um, but think of it this: all way. we know he's, is he's, he's a rock have star designer, yeah. and he gets a rock star salary. Oh yeah! And as he goes, and they're trying to keep the boat afloat, they can distribute that salary to a bunch of other engineers who may be as good as him, but just don't have the experience, don't have the seniority, and be able to keep them on and keep that momentum going. Yeah, I think that's – I mean maybe if you're AMD, that's something you have to do. It's a dangerous position to continue to take long term, right? Like you, it's hard to get good talent in if you just kind of kick them out of the way when their job is done before the next job starts. Uh, but if you look, I mean they, they just recently promoted Raja and kept him on and all that stuff. So I don't feel like the company is trying to do that. So maybe this was his decision. He wanted to do other stuff and we'll, uh, we'll leave it at that, I guess. Yeah. Um, I guess in six years we'll find out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another interesting thing and, and potentially bad news for, for people is apparently 30,000 employees are going to be let go uh, if this HP split actually occurs. Uh, oh, it's going to. Oh, yeah. Think, what, what is this, Jeremy? What am I looking at here? Well, so uh, HP has always had a very schizophrenic business model where there's the consumers who buy HP laptops because they're cool. And the enterprise customers that buy Hewlett-Packard because they've been around for forever. So they kind of figured, we're not doing so well against some of our, cust- our comp- competition like Lenovo, like Dell. Uh, more so on the enterprise side than the uh, consumer side. But still, they were seeing problems on the consumer side. So they were going to originally cut 
Uh, somewhere around 3,000 people or so. Uh, or sorry, about 5,000, which is the usual corporate adjustment or <laughs> otherwise yeah. known as decimation. One in ten is now gone. It's actually looking like that number. Uh, and this is on top of uh, just over 50,000 that they've already lost when this was first announced and they started the restructuring. So now you're looking at 30, 40. You're, you're getting the better part of 100,000 people are going to be let go because of this which is just going to hurt a lot of people overall, and it's going to make HP a very different company. I, I don't know if they're going to try and keep mostly enterprise and just bare bones a consumer, because you, you can sort of do that to an extent, especially if you, as some other companies have done, just provide crap support and warranty for your consumer people and baby your enterprise guys. But mm-hmm. if it'll work for them, maybe they can make a bit of a comeback because... Honestly, I, I haven't seen HP kit that was really impressive, uh, at least to me in the enterprise or as a consumer, in quite a while. So they're going to have to make some major changes. I don't know if it's getting rid of 90, 100,000 people, but, well, that's what they're doing. Uh, that's a big change. Like, if you want to shake things up, that's, uh, that's certainly a way to do it. So we feel for those guys, uh, and hey. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. Part, part of the part of the HP split also is uh, has to do with their government business. I have a friend of mine who works uh, for them, the old EDS arm that they swallowed up. Supposedly, the split is also to split out the government business from the rest of the business as well. Um, the government business being uh, the contracting services, some top secret stuff, some not. You know, so right. that that's along with it. Um, and they may be shopping one or the other split off companies to you know for a potential buyer or whatever because because those service companies you know when when they pick them up they say oh it's great it's it's great because it's making money we can make more money and then they get into it and they're like well it didn't work out so well so let's (laughs) sell it off that that's life at a big company i mean my the company i work for does the same thing but this is these type of things are years in the making it's not like they buy it last year and they sell it this year or something Everyone thinks they can make money off of support, and then they do it and find out, no, it doesn't pay for shit. Except IBM somehow. <laughs> yeah, because they don't have any products. They just offer exactly. support. <laughs> nice. Buy our software. It's cheap. <laughs> Let's talk about something more exciting and less depressing. Uh, how about Star Wars Battlefront? Apparently, according to this story by Scott, uh, the Battlefront beta will be open to everyone. It will be a public beta. It will take place in, quote, early October. Contain three game modes each of the two known ones with a single map, uh, and the third one unknown to be Drop Zone, apparently, to come with its own map, but it could technically reuse Hoth or Tatooine. Um, if you're not a fan of online gaming, EA is supporting single-player survival mode. You will apparently require... It will apparently require an internet connection, but it's unclear whether you need to have it active to play in the offline mode. Uh, Squadron Fighter mode will not be available in the beta, but Walker Assault has a bit of aircraft play, so you should get a taste of the controls if you can ever find an available vehicle, which I 100% agree with And the three or four hours I played of the Alpha, I guess, or the... I guess it was still considered an Alpha. Never once got into uh, a, a speeder. Well, because speeder, I'm a pilot and I'm going to camp by the speeders. Right. And if you get into it, I'm going to blow it up. Lol. And I'm going to turn around backwards on the racetrack and run into people. There you have it. Uh, EA also mentioned the Star Wars Battlefront companion app. It will not be some kind of commander mode. 
Uh, it will apparently have a card game and social component. It will be available Great. during the beta as a website, but the iOS and Android apps will be uh, prior to the release of Battlefront. That's exactly what I want. That is still coming. It's sooner than we think, like just over two months, November 17th, uh, for the full release, and then the beta in early October. And then, um, Jeremy, was there more information on the Battlefront news as well? Uh, sort of a little bit more. Uh, there was a statement which EA put out, uh, which everyone figured they were going to save for a surprise at the very end, just before release, uh, where, well, you know, we're not going to have a server browser, but we're going to have some sort of matching thing. Right. Hey, okay, skill-based matching is pretty common nowadays. Uh, Rocket League is a perfect example of that. Many others mm-hmm. are doing the same sort of thing, but one of the things that scared the hell out of people was what if I want a dedicated server? What if I just want to play with my friends? Sure. What if one of them really likes driving backwards into people and I just like watching it? <laughs> it's, a fair, it's a fair question. Because right? you'd I like to watch are, the world burn. These are the things that need to be asked. Right? Absolutely. So yeah. their representative did say, yes, dedicated servers will still be available. Of course, with no server browser, we're not quite sure how that's going to work in. If there's going to be a join by direct IP, if find your friends sort of a thing. Wouldn't that be console great if, if, if they just went right all back to com- console commands? <laughs> like, look, we don't have the time to make a browser for servers. That's crazy talk. Just hit tilde and type in yeah, the IP. Yeah, tilde, join IP, colon, port, done, ready It'll to go. cut down on the console gamers I get to kill, though. Yeah, that's true. It, it is a bitch to hit the tilde key on a PS4. Did they controller. say they were going to do cross-play on this console versus yeah, PC? Yeah, well, they they say they will. They've been and saying that for ages. Yeah. Well, Fable Legends... Can I say this yet? I'll wait till tomorrow. Yeah, you can. I can. Fable Legends will be a cross-play game. Yeah. It was in that video we watched. Oh, you? okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Fable Legends game, Microsoft's coming out. It'll be on Windows 10 Store. And uh, Xbox One, it's doing crossplay, so like there's one. But Microsoft tried it's that before. It's not a first-person shooter, though. It's not a first-person yeah. shooter, right? Where the advantage of mouse keyboard over controller is dramatic. So so sweet. Because there are a couple out <laughs> there where you do see that, and like the, there'll be an asterisk beside the guy's name, and it's like, oh, aim for him because he's on a controller. <laughs> and he ain't gonna be able to hit shit. Uh, very true. Um, I'm excited about Battlefront. I still, I want it to be good. I don't want it to be EAified too much. But we'll see. Yeah, well. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, Alan's not here, so he actually posted a review of this uh, Enterprise SSD. We're not going to cover that this week. We're going to wait till next week when he's back in town to talk about it because he went through this whole new testing methodology that I don't really understand, so I'm going to have him explain it all uh, for us. In the meantime, though, uh, there, are, there are a couple of things I do want to cover uh, from the event that he is actually at in Korea. Uh, Samsung's having their kind of annual... SSD storage event over there. Uh, and the big thing that they announced was the 950 Pro, which is a M.2 PCI Express NVMe SSD using VNAND, uh, up to rated at 300,000 IOPS and 2.5 gigabytes per second in that form factor. Um, this is, is this the second NVMe drive that we know of? Uh, right? From Samsung? Just period. Well, so okay, we have the we have the Intel SSD 750 series, which was kind of the first kind of consumer released branded 
NVMe drive, and it was an add-in card or the U.2 form factor. Samsung and wasn't had, that Samsung. They they sent that one accident. Well, not accidentally, but Intel sent you the one in the in the bricks. Yeah, so they sent it one was in the NVMe. Bricks. Yeah, and they had used those in notebooks for a little while as well. But it was like they weren't marketing it. They weren't advertising. It's an OEM it. only. It part. was an OEM only part. Right, and so they never really sold. Like we, even you when we can just started, find them on Amazon and stuff. Sometimes, yeah, every once in a while you could find it, but it was really hard to do. Like, so this is a part that's going to be widely available. It's got a brand. It's going to be in a box. It's going to it's going to ship. Right. Um, this is an M.2 dot two twenty twenty two eighty form factor product running PCIe three point by four. Right, that's how you can get up that two and a half gigabytes performance. It's got thirty two layer VNAND, and it uses NVMe protocol enabled by the new UBX Samsung controller. It would be capable of three hundred thousand random uh, random read IOPS and random writes at one hundred ten thousand IOPS. Sequential throughputs are expected to be two and a half gigs for reads. Oops, wrong way. And one and a half gigs for writes. Available capacities will be two fifty six and five twelve at launch. But I think they said later, or they do say here, one terabyte early next year when they actually go to a 48-layer VNAND. Now, keep in mind that the reason for that capacity constraint is, like, physical space on the M.2 board. And I think they're only using the front side of the board. I think I saw Alan say there aren't actually components on the back. Oh, really? So that, I wonder it's, if it's there's only a like form two factor. Packages. Yeah, I wonder if there's a form factor concern, like, for some spacing. Like, we've seen many ITX boards like that. MSI uh, Z170 board that has M.2 on the back. Yeah. Perfect. But you have to be very critical about space and then you have to worry about heat and all that other stuff uh, that goes along with that as well. Um, so these will hit retail in October. Alan has his samples. We just got to wait for him to get back and actually run the tests and uh, figure out whenever the NDA is. So that's pretty cool. Pricing um, 68 cents a gig for the 512 gig model. So 512 gig drive for 349 bucks. That's not. Um, it's not like 850 pricing, but it's not Intel SSD 750 pricing either. It's definitely it's kind of like right between those. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if, where do the 850 Pro price per gig kind of sits right now? Like the SATA based 850 Pro. It's that, that's, about, that's about the 850 Pro. Is it? Yeah. Okay. So I you know it's I I I, I I'm impressed here with the let me look this up. Eight fifty pro five twelve gig on Amazon is uh no it's come down quite a bit. Eight fifty pro on Amazon is two thirty one for the five hundred twelve gig model. So that's actually that's actually significantly significantly less. Uh but that's kind of where it started at, right? So not a budget play here. You know, we, I don't know any of this. Alan hasn't said anything of this, but you assume if there's a 950 Pro, there will be a 950, maybe a 950 Evo using TLC VNAND. You know, those will be the lower cost options, slightly lower performance. Um, and I'll be curious to see how it's always been interesting, right? Because the 850 Evo and 850 Pro, they have slightly different performance, but because it's SATA, it's like it kind of doesn't matter. Now that it's PCIe and VME, I think it will matter. Ryan, they may. What they may do is, if they come out with the 950, um, just the 950 Evo. I mean, they mm-hmm. may not make that a PCIe X4 thing because those all all the uh, PCIe X4 drives I've seen named a two form factor are premium drives. So they may they may choose to leave that at a premium, try to make money off of it, and the Evo may only be either just a regular SSD one or only an X2. True. They may choose to cripple it. 
We yep. shall see. It's it's very true. Uh, in other news, Samsung did announce branding and future SSD capacity expansion to the 48-layer 48, uh, 48 VNAN stuff. So it's a little weird, right? Um, obscured by the 950 Pro launch, new branding for their VNAN technology. Uh, the new branding is more in line with what folks were calling their NAND anyway. Uh, and apparently they're just like they're actually going – it's going to say VNAND SSD 850 EVO for example, on the box, right? Whether or not that's a positive or a negative, I really can't say. I don't, I don't know what I, how, I, how I really feel about that. But what they did talk about were announcements of upcoming higher capacities for the existing models. How about a 4 terabyte 850 EVO SATA drive? Or a 1 terabyte 850 EVO M.2? That sounds pretty good, right? 2.5 inch 4 terabyte SSD? It's bigger than any hard drive I own. Yeah, yeah, and a two and a half inch form factor, right? We were just talking about like what's that Drobo Mini that has four two and a half inch drive <laughs> yeah. slots? Yeah, boom, put in four of those, run RAID zero. Wait, well, no, don't do that. And then transfer over USB three point or Thunderbolt. Don't do that. Um, how is all this expansion possible? The answer is the third generation VNAND, which is forty eight layers and two hundred fifty six gigabit capacity per die, which is three thirty two gigabytes per die 32 gigabytes per die uh, samsung says they're going to roll this flash out and update all model lines currently using vnand um and uh let's see they so we'll talk with Alan about this next week but uh, i'm sure their worry is um if they say they're going to replace the current lineup with that currently uses 32 nanometer right and they've replaced it with 48 48 nanometer uh, are they kind of doing this kind of swap on the fly? Will it affect performance? Will it affect longevity? Uh, Samsung is trying to prevent confusion by adding the product lines with additional specs. They also promise that they will only implement this change in a way that will increase performance and decrease power consumption of the product so that they won't run into any kind of issues that, well, I don't know, the Kingston or somebody PNY. that had PNY that like swapped flash on it and, and caused a big issue there. So, um, we'll, we'll talk more about all that stuff next week, but Samsung keeping the uh, SSD world on its toes. So good for them. Good for them. A couple more things real quick here. Asus announces Transformer book lineup including the T100HA and the TP200SA. Um, these are both convertible tablets and two-in-one tablets. The T100 is a uh, Cherry Trail, Intel Atom Cherry Trail X5 Z85 processor which is an improvement over the Bay Trail. Uh, you can see here it is a it's a it's a, what we know of as the Asus 2-in-1 kind of convertible tablet. Uh, it is a magnetic connector there rather than a latch connector, which is nice. Uh, I saw one of those actually at IDF. Uh, so that's that's pretty good quad-core cherry trail processor, 10.1-inch screen, 4 gigs of RAM, 64 gigs of eMMC. You know, your your kind of typical low-cost machine and then up next is the transformer book flip tp200sa it's an 11 inch two-in-one that kind of does the wraparound screen to turn it into a tablet this has a quad core celeron braswell processor the n3050 uh 11.1 11.6 1366 by 768 ips panel nice screen four gigs of ram 64 gigs of emmc usb 3.0 support which is nice um Type-C USB 3.1 Gen 1, which basically means what, Ken? Like USB 3.0 speeds. It's just USB 3.0 speeds, Type-C connector. Here's the secret, everybody. Well, that um, 
T100 is going to be 299 and the TP200SA is going to be 349 so very low-cost machines. That's actually what this machine is here, the TP200SA. I'm using it right now. Uh, I am using that Type-C adapter for a gigabit Ethernet connection. Eh? 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 I, I don't want to lift it up because I got cables. I'm and so impressed. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty good viewing angle, actually. See yeah. that on the screen? Yeah. It's pretty good, actually. Uh, so that's what's been been running this. It's not a high performance machine. You know, I've got 20 tabs open in Chrome, and it's it it's feeling it right. Like it's, it's you feeling. probably shouldn't have 20 tabs open on this machine. You probably shouldn't have 20 tabs open. I completely agree with that sentiment. Uh, it's a 2.65 pound notebook. Uh, nothing here, quote, uh, on battery life, but that's something I'm very curious about because it is such a thin and light machine, uh, whether or not it lives up to any kind of reasonable battery life expectation. So obviously we'll have a review up uh, in the not-too-distant future of the TP200SA, so, so pay attention to that. Uh, and then lastly, real quick, Google is apparently going to host a uh, press briefing on September 29th. For new Android phones, we know anything about these, Ken. I don't know if you read anything. The Nexus 5X, Nexus 6P, which are yeah. both not great names. 5X is fine. 6P, 6P is not great. It's not the best. It's not 6, the best. 6P is supposed, your, yeah, it's supposed to be the Bring Huawei. your sticks in a campfire because they'll be roasted marshmallows. Yeah. There you go. Uh, so I'm not going to talk anything more on that. Also, I will say as a, as a complete side note here, um, for the first time since the iPhone 3G. That's yeah. right. Yeah, I bought an iPhone, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking about it, and I'll run this by everybody here on the show. I think what I'm going to do is, I'm going to make myself only use that phone as like my primary phone. I think I could do that. Can I put my Verizon SIM in it? I bought a T-Mobile iPhone success. If I have to use T-Mobile service, that's fine. I'll I do think it. That'll work. Actually. I would like to just use my Verizon stuff, uh, but use it for 30 days. And, like, kind of not every day write a blog about, like, day one, day two, day three, day seven, day ten. And oh, just, man, you can vlog. I, day oh, 30, I'm I already standing in line for iPhone 7. I could vlog. I could vlog with the 4K camera. I could just walk around. This actually make me ill when I watch them. When you have somebody, like, rotating <laughs> as they hold the camera out here, it's not good. I don't know why anybody ever thought that was a good idea. So, yeah, I bought a success. It'll be here on Friday Ken obviously bought a success and he'll have it on Friday, <laughs> but uh, it had been a long time, and um, I think it's I think it's worth giving it a shot again. I really am just really excited about 3D Touch. I just want to push on the screen real hard. That's all it is. Yeah, yeah. So I think it'll be interesting as somebody who has used Android exclusively for and WebOS. Okay, so I, I, that's true. <laughs> I went from the iPhone 3G to WebOS to Android. Which obviously with the West didn't last very long, but so I've yeah, been on Android for a while. Some really nice pictures on your BlackBerry, by the way. Oh, yes, Since you let me borrow that. I did. Yeah. Did you ever give that back to me? Did I get that back? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you say that in a way that I don't good believe. Stuff you. on there. Lots of good content. So I'll be curious. Like here's my Droid Turbo, and I just recently got a OnePlus Two in as well. Put them to the side. Focus on. 6s or 6s plus whichever one shows up we'll see um so that's pretty much it guys let's get into our hardware software picks of the week uh mine is that very adapter that i just mentioned this is the um canx is that what we're gonna go with yeah canx adapter Oop, there it is Oop, hard to see lots of glare this is a usb type c gigabit ethernet adapter 
Now, very convenient for us here because this had a USB Type-C connection on this Asus laptop. You know, useful for, I guess, what, the new Macs? Yeah. Uh, that, that have Type-C on I, it. I think we'll see a lot of Ultrabooks with Type-C connectors in the next couple months. Agreed. That don't and have Ethernet. This is, I will say, and this is running Windows 10. I just plugged it in and it worked immediately. Didn't have to... Uh, download a driver, install a driver, which is always nice. Canx USB-C to gigabit Ethernet adapter. It's twenty-two bucks on Amazon. That's that's actually pretty hey, good. Man. Yeah, that's that's pretty good for a USB Ethernet it's adapter. Pretty to, good compared to like what I paid for a three one. That's about. Right. I like I like its features here. It enables immediate internet connectivity to your <laughs> new MacBook or PC. Uh, plug and play, no driver installation required. Helps avoid Wi-Fi dead spots because it doesn't use Wi-Fi. <laughs> It's it's a cord. Uh, yeah, like mm-hmm. the the single best thing I bought for my MacBook was the Thunderbolt to Ether the gigabit adapter. Yeah, because like I just keep it in my bag and yeah. I use it. Way it's paid. Agreed. It's paid for itself. I use compatibility. It, often it says new MacBook Chromebook Pixel. <laughs> uh, they should also add ASUS TP two hundred SA to that <laughs> list because it worked perfectly and it's been working perfectly uh, on this device as well. Plug it in the back of your new Z one seventy motherboard for some reason. Yeah, right. I need three uh, gigabit Ethernet <laughs> ports on that as well. So who's up next? We got Jeremy. What do you got for me? Oh, EA decided to buck the trend and actually fix something. What? Uh, yeah, it's it's shocking to me as well. But if you've already infected your machine with Origin uh, for the various reasons that we choose to do so, the on-the-house deal has finally been fixed. If you didn't get Command & Conquer Red Alert 2 and Yuri's Revenge before it died last week, you can get them now. Add them to your list of games that you've never actually played, you but really sad, mean to. Sad for me is I get an email about whatever game is free from Origin, because right, obviously we have an Origin account. And I'm too lazy or distracted to go to a machine that has an Origin, to start it up, to click the yes to button. To update it. I don't, yeah, <laughs> to log back in. Log back in, click yes, I would like to buy that. No, don't download it. Uh, maybe one day in the future... It won't happen. I'll play the game when I when I want to. Um, I do the same thing with PSN, right? Like I see all the emails about what games are free on the PlayStation Four and the and the PlayStation Three and, and the Xbox Vita. Live does that now. And Xbox Live does that now too. And I and I just like I should be collecting in these free games. I have so many games I don't play as it is that this doesn't. I guess bother me that much. Doesn't make you too sad. Do you have a lot of good memories of Red Alert Two, Jeremy? Ah, uh, more or less. That was back in the good old days when the RTSs were a little more, more simple. Yeah. And also much better thought out and balanced. And hell, there's even a story with it. Is there full motion video in Red Alert 2? Uh, yeah. <laughs> there's sort of. I mean, it, it's, it's not going to be FMV for anybody born after the 80s, but, <laughs> eh, you know. Well, you know. Everybody's got to have goals in life. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, all right, Josh. Me. You are next. Okay, apparently, this is coming out at the end of the month. I had mentioned Ooh. this before. It's a hundred ninety nine dollar force feedback wheel. If if uh, you know if I were starting out in games and racing, mm-hmm. the T one fifty would be a really good product. I mean, it's it's got one hundred eighty degrees rotation. It's a solid force feedback. Uh, you know, it's only two pedal. It's got the paddle shifters, but you know what? It's not out of most people's price range. It's not a $76 force feedback wheel, but it probably feels a whole lot better than a $76 force feedback wheel. Right. Yeah. Probably. And it's blue. 
It does blue. Got that giant mm-hmm. PlayStation logo right in the middle of it too. Yeah. Which sucks with your plan on the PC, but yeah. such hey, is life. One ninety nine. Such is life. What All would right. Johnny She about say about it? Uh, probably nothing. No. <laughs> I'd call it two hundred dollars. More. He'd be like it's it's about two hundred bucks. Yeah. Maury, what and, do you got? And he'd say that really monotonously. Yeah, it's around two hundred. Yeah, it's like two hundred bucks or something. This is Johnny She signing off. See you guys. Maury, what do you got? Mine's a little cheaper than two hundred dollars. Um, I. Recently, when we uh, started with the Z170 reviews, the USB 3.1 stuff started to hit uh, hard and heavy. So I started looking into getting a uh, USB 3.1 enclosure. Found, well, if Kendall put the picture up, found this one at Fry's. Now, the, the price on the website, this is a Hornetech website, so you know it's going to show the retail price. But you can probably, I picked it up at Fry's for nine, uh, it was like 20 bucks on sale. You probably get it for 25 it's a really nice unit. It supports USB 3, uh, 2.0, 3.0, 3.1, 3.1 Gen 1, Gen 2. Um, it also comes with an adapter that uh, will convert from the regular size USB to the Type-A connector, which is the mini switchable USB 3.1 Gen 2 connector. Now, let me just throw something out there, too. Um, with this thing... The the uh, basically USB 3.1 kind of muddied the waters, right? Mm-hmm. USB 3.1 and 3.1 Gen 1 is the five gigabyte per second one, and now they're using that with USB 3.0 interchangeably. For it to be USB 3.1 Gen 2, which is the t- the one you want, the 10 gigabit per second, it has to say Gen 2. Okay, if it says Gen 1 it's going to be the old USB 3.0. They just kind of, yeah. uh, I don't know. I don't know why they did that. Um, and the, the only difference between the th- uh, regular 3.1 Gen 2 and uh, Gen, well, the regular um, USB 3.1 Gen 2 is, is referred to as Type A. That's the full-size connector. The smaller connector that you can flip either way is called Type C. Okay. This, that, that enclosure supports both of them. It supports all that stuff. Um, the, the nice thing with the enclosure is uh, I was, you know, in testing, it's as fast as with a, you know, an SSD. I was using, I think, a Vertex 460 SSD in it, mm-hmm. and I got the same speeds as I did on uh, with the drive connected to an S, uh, a SATA drive, a SATA port on the motherboard. So, you know, there is no speed degradation. Um, I believe the enclosure uses an AS Media chipset on it, so... Uh, there's been some things that there might be incompatibilities with between the AS Media and other chipsets, so just keep that in mind. But um, you know, most on most motherboards, it works works stellarly. And even for the that's only for the USB 3.1 Gen 2. The the uh, USB 3.0 slash Gen 1 stuff works fine no matter what. So. Very cool. Uh, that is indeed much less than $200, by the way, as well. So people appreciate that. That's going to be it for tonight's episode, guys. I will say if you're watching live uh, and you're interested in DirectX 12 game performance, check PCPer.com tomorrow morning. We can't talk about it yet, um, but if you check back tomorrow morning, we'll have a, a new story and a, a video, a couple videos up on that it's as well. It's a surprise well. announcement of DirectX 13. It is. Yep, it's finally here. We're finally we're finally ready to uh, uh, do that do that thing that DirectX 13 is going to do. This would be great. 
Uh, that's it for everybody. Like I said, PCPro.com slash podcasts where you can find all the back episodes. You can find the RSS feeds, the MP3 downloads, the SoundCloud embeds, the YouTube videos. All that stuff is there at PCPro.com slash podcast. Please share the podcast with anybody that you think might be interested. We need growing the audience. It's all – we don't put out ads. We are all through word of mouth. Um, so if you want to post us on Reddit or on your favorite form or whatever, we would really appreciate it there. Uh, and then PCPro.com slash live. Again, if you want to watch us record the show live. Wednesdays, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, and then pcpro.com slash subscribe if you want to sign up for that little mailing list where we will tell you about our upcoming live events. With that, we will see you next week, everybody. I'm Ryan Trout. I'm Jeremy Holstrom. I'm Josh Walrath. And I'm Mari Tattleman. Good night. Good night.